Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. I'm Dave Sulecki. I'm Dale Spangler, and this week's guest is motocross instructor and test rider Blake Wharton. Moto America is the official sponsor of Pit Pass Moto. After record attendance and extremely close racing at Laguna Seca, the Moto America series now heads to the land of the lakes and Brainerd International Raceway. See, hear, and feel 190 mile per hour superbikes, as well as five other classes of racing as they take on one of the best road courses in America. Brainerd will host seven classes of racing, including the ever popular King of the Baggers. Get your tickets and a camping spot today at MotoAmerica.com. Follow Moto America on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. This week's Pit Pass Moto All Access Quick Hits. We've got top five to talk about. Number five, as in five motos in a row, that's the number for the hard-charging Eli Tomac in beast mode for the AMA Motocross 450 Outdoors. Eli swept round six at Southwick, Massachusetts, having a charge hard from P8 in Moto 1 after teammate Christian Craig took an early lead. Tomac, he had to kind of work past both Team Honda riders, Sexton and Roxon, as well as past Craig for the lead where he simply checked out and just, you know, took a strong win. Moto2 kind of played out the same way, Tomac getting a fifth-place start after a Roxon hole shot. Eli rode patiently, passing up to third until the 15-minute mark and started making his move to the front, knocking off Plessinger and then Roxon a lap later. From there was all Tomac for the win, and in the series... Sexton is now clinging to a one-point advantage over Tomac as things head to round seven at Spring Creek in Millville, Minnesota. Moto America is always an exciting series with high speeds and spectacular racing. We also know this is a dangerous form of racing, as we saw in the Junior Cup event at Laguna Seca this past weekend. Junior Cup is always exciting to watch with these young racers on 400cc bikes as the next generation of racers in the big bike classes. In this series, they're learning both the race craft needed to compete at a high level and all the venues, tracks, and variations these bring to the road racing series. In Saturday's race one, Kayla Yakov, who sits position three on the season, suffered an entangled crash with Max Vandenbroek, who was trying to duck under Kayla, taking them both out of the race on the second to last lap. It was heartbreaking to see Kayla was running P3 at the end and even led at one point in the race. After Saturday's DNF, Kayla was able to come back on Sunday and finish ninth place. She still holds P4 on the season and sits 44 points behind series leader Cody Wyman. Number three on our list this week, three riders that did double duty in the Moto America round at Laguna Seca. Kyle Wyman, who's sitting in for the injured Jake Lewis. Kyle competed on the Vision Wheel M4 X-Star Suzuki, GSXR 1000 in the Medallia Superbike class, as well as being the defending champion of the King of the Baggers series. Kyle went on to P8, P7 on the Superbike and then swept the weekend on the Baggers with a win in the Challenge Race and led a Harley-Davidson sweep of the podium in the final. Andrew Lee jumped on the Cycle World Octane Chuckwalla Racing Suzuki GSXR 1000 in the Superbike Series, riding for injured rider Michael Gilbert. Andrew is normally competing in the King of the Baggers Series, and Lee was able to go P16 and P19 on the Superbike and finishing 10th place in the Baggers and his big bear performance, Harley-Davidson. And our third rider, Corey Ventura, sat in for the injured Sam Lockoff on the Vision Wheel M4 X-Star Suzuki GSXR 750 in the Supersport class. Corey finished 8th and 5th on the weekend in Supersport and then jumped on his usual ride in the Twins Cup event 
and won decisively over Blake Davis and Caleb DeCaro. Corey is sitting in seventh on the season in the Twin Series. Our number two quick hit this week is a shout-out to two brothers, Kyle and Travis Wyman, who are competing together for the Screaming Eagle Factory Harley-Davidson team in the King of the Baggers series. How cool is it to see these two not only compete in the series, but do it for the same team? And as you would expect, the rivalry is intense and nothing is left on the racetrack. At this weekend's Laguna event, defending champ Kyle Wyman took the win as part of a Harley-Davidson sweep of the King of the Baggers podium over Travis Wyman and Vance and Hines rider James Rispoli. Tyler O'Hare continues to lead the series with 87 points over Kyle and Travis, who are tied for second with 87 points each. This week's quick hit number one, and speaking of number one, Jake Gagne, rider number one, taking command of the Moto America Medallia Superbike Series with a clean 1-1 sweep on the weekend. And now a three-point advantage over the previous series leader, Danilo Petrucci. In race one, Jake took a front row start to a hole shot, immediately set the pace and gapped the field, and it was over at that point. On Sunday in race two, it was a replay. Gagne simply getting the hole shot at the start and just never looking back. No question that he's found his stride, and the rest of the season is looking pretty good for the defending champion. In this week's industry spotlight, MX Sports has announced that applications are now open for the 2022 Loretta Lynn's Apprenticeship Program. The program will take place at this year's AMA Amateur National Motocross Championship in Hurricane Mills, Tennessee, July 31st through August 6th. The Loretta Lynn's Apprenticeship Program is a groundbreaking program aimed at fostering the next generation of off-the-bike talent for the motocross industry. The program offers a -a one-of-a-kind opportunity for individuals who possess skills in other areas of the sport to contribute to the Amateur National Motocross Championship with mentorship from experienced members of the American motocross community. A complete list of apprenticeship opportunities will be announced soon. Those interested can find out more by heading to mxsports.com. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs) He's a 250 Supercross winner, motocross instructor, and test rider, Blake Wharton. Welcome to Pit Pass Moto. How are you today, Blake? How's it going? Doing good. Doing good myself. A lot of different projects in the works, but testing the Stark was one of the more recent ones, so that was fun. Despite, you know, not racing, you know, full-time these days, man, you're a busy man. You're teaching riding schools. You're working at Al Lamb's Dallas Honda. 
you're a test rider for Cycle World and Dirt Rider, you're a musician. I mean, how do you find time to do all this stuff? That's a good question. I don't have enough time as I'd like, but no, it's it's good. I'm actually working with my dad now and the family business down here in Southeast Texas. So I have a little bit more time off to do these these projects. Not much of a motocross town, but it is a it is close to some good riding communities in Houston and then Louisiana as well. And I've always liked doing different things and, and staying busy. Sometimes it's a bit much, but you know, when you grow up racing motocross and the amateur racing scene, you you're kind of uh you're kind of uh, made for that. So it's been good. So as you kind of alluded to already, you being a test rider, one of those recent test rides that you got to take part in was the Stark Varg in Barcelona, Spain. So tell us about that trip and how did that come about? And we got to hear how this bike was. Yeah, no, I uh, reached out to those guys months ago and Justin Dawes there at Cycle World. And and then I've known Andrew for a little bit longer with uh, some other tests and shoots that I've done in the past. But yeah, they were looking for someone to go to test the Stark and um, they wanted someone with some racing experience and some some to really try to put the bike through its paces because it was such a big introduction to the sport. And so, yeah, when I heard about that opportunity to go to Spain, I thought, well, that'd be a, a great time and kind of further expand on what I'm what I'm doing right now with the riding and, and the all things motorcycle narrative. So we went there and Spain was a blast. It was a great time. We actually rode around on an ADV bike to get from point A to point B. So it was all motorcycles. I've ridden the uh, the first electric that we had, which is the Alta, and that was a good bike. That was a that was a fun time. I got to test that. But the Stark had definitely taken it up a notch. You know, it's it's been some years, so I figured the technology had advanced, and it did, and you could feel it. And uh, the bike was uh, was was impressive for sure. Definitely kind of surprising right away getting on it. You can you could just kind of tell based on what the guys were saying there, Anton, Benjamin, and all the the engineers and mechanics. You can see they put a lot of time and a lot of forethought into the bike's design. And so we tried to explain it as best we could in the uh, in the two articles that I did on it and the videos. It's kind of looking like our future is uh, is going to be electric. It's just a matter of, I guess, how soon is that actually going to happen? I mean, what do you see as, as the e-bikes in, in racing? I mean, they just have this infinite amount of adjustability. Yeah, well, it's, it's hard to say. I think a lot of it depends on the governments and the powers that be you know, as to how soon the electric technology will take over. It's kind of a, one thing I was looking forward to is that transition time, that hybrid time, you know, where electrics are racing four strokes, kind of like how we had a couple years where it was two stroke and four stroke and the four stroke slowly took over from where the two stroke was, but there was a time where it was half of the bikes on the track were two strokes and half were the four strokes. They had their advantages and their disadvantages, but definitely made for an interesting era in racing. But with the governments and, and stuff, the world kind of going green, I think that that transition will happen probably more abruptly and quicker. I mean, Kawasaki has their set for 2035 where they have all electric power plants, I guess, on, on their on their powertrains, on their on their bikes. So it's hard to say, really. Uh, I mean, I know the electric could probably go out there and race right now. It's going to take some time. Nothing really develops and tests a bike like racing, you know, and at the most extreme and brutal level, which is like American motocross and then European motocross, like that's the ultimate testing ground and you got to get there first. But I wouldn't be surprised at, a, at an electric series for a year or two and then maybe it, it joins and it's for sure uh, electric. And then, you know, eventually if the trajectory stays the same with with e-technology, then you could foresee it being all electric in, you know, five, 10 years but, you know, still some question marks on that. It's hard, it's hard to say ultimately. 
with where the world's going to go and where they're going to take it and if it's going to become mandatory or not. And that's actually your take on it is actually the first time I've heard that thought or idea of, I guess, that exemption rule that brought the four strokes in. Why not use that for electric bikes and, you know, kind of let them develop into what makes sense to compete against the other bikes. And then, you know, as you, as you said, it slowly would kind of take over things. Yeah. If it, if it looks anything like, you know, the history of our sport where, you know, the first bikes were, you know, non-moto made and then, you know, the Elsinore comes along and it's like, I guess one of the first purpose built bikes and it takes over and then four stroke technology and two stroke, it kind of, you just kind of see trends happen and then eventually it becomes the full thing. But I think to do it justice, because it is so different, so much different electric power, so much different than two stroke and four stroke, you do need to kind of have its own class probably to begin with, unless they can figure out a way to regulate the wattage and, and say that this wattage is a light spike and this wattage is, is a, is a force, you know, is, is a big bike. I know that Honda and Kawasaki and a lot of those brands, I would imagine have that technology already, you know, within their grasps and they're, they're at least they, they're probably testing it behind the scenes, but it'll be interesting to see. I know there's some, some, some fear out there and some, some worry about the, the sound and the fact that there's not going to be, you know, any sound with electrics as of now. I mean, there's probably other ways and you have some naysayers out there too. And, and so it's kind of an interesting time, but I mean, I like all things motorcycles. I don't care if it's two stroke, four stroke, electric, three wheels, you know, unicycle with a super cross suspension on it. I like it all right now. It's kind of a good position for me because I'm able to do these, these different projects that I'm interested in testing and, you know, just whatever, kind of keep it light. So one of the more fun aspects that I learned about from you specifically is, is that noise factor you're just talking about with the Stark Varg, it's so much more just natural. There's no engine noise, obviously. And so one of the things you pointed out is like, you know, you trash talkers out there are going to enjoy this because that's a part of motocross. You know, when you come into a corner, people are yelling at each other. And I think a lot of people that maybe follow motocross don't understand that. But, you know, so talk more about that because I think that's a really interesting aspect of these new bikes. Yeah, I think that the, the AMA is going to have to come up with some rules where they classify certain dialogue as below the belt. You're, you're, that's below the belt. That line, we're going to we're going to push you back three positions. You know, your mama jokes or something like that. No, it definitely would be a different sensation and a feeling. You know, when you imagine 25 bikes, 20, 23 bikes on a track in a Supercross stadium, and it's then it's infinitely becomes more about the audience and the crowd and their oohs and ahs. And that's something that you're going to hear much, much more. The four-stroke drowned out the two-stroke, you know, in a lot of ways, and at least in terms of how sound carries. But the four, the two-strokes are loud, but you know, when they're both on the track together, the four-stroke sort of takes over. It'll be interesting to see the technology as well. I kind of think that there's some, as I spoke about in the article, there there is a sound there. It's just not super loud. And if they could make some emphasis on that, if they can develop technology to expand upon that, yeah, because I mean, you know, the the noise, the thrill factor is is a part of it. It's not everything. If guys were riding around a circle and racing each other, we'd all probably be there too. So it's not always the track, it's not always the bikes, but it definitely does play a huge part of it. And trash talk could very well be that. I mean, imagine James Stewart and Chad Reed, you know, back when they were doing their thing in Supercross the verbiage that would have been coming out of their mouth. The whole world just lucky we didn't hear what they were saying. So it's definitely going to create some some different um, some different elements and maybe music will become a much more prevalent part of the sport because you'll need something to fill the to fill the air at least until technology can become good enough and those bikes are making some sound again. 
Yeah, it's interesting though too because I think it just shows how much the current bikes we're riding, how much you go off of feel, you know, vibration of the motorcycle, you know, and then you take that away and it's got to be such a different experience. But on the flip side of that though, you also have rid, been riding, shown up in these photos on this BVC off-road CRF big wheel kit. How fun is that thing to ride with ATV wheels on it on a dirt bike? No, it was it was definitely fun. It was there were UTV wheels, which I don't know if that's much different than the quad stuff, but I grew up, um, you know, riding the uh, the big wheel way, way early on. You know, before I was even riding, we were riding it with my dad, and it was a, it was the big PW looking Yamaha, and it was an awesome bike. And they're they're fun. Those guys are are really cool. I got to know them a bit with some of these little projects I've been doing, and and we've got some more stuff in the works. They do trikes, you know, big wheels, uh, quads, and they're very ingenuitive, and they're not too far away from where we go, and we're in Arizona, and so. It was a blast. Definitely different. Definitely um, takes different technique, and it's 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 a trip when you get on it at first. But obviously, trail riding and and sand dune riding and rock crawling and stuff like that would be really good. It'd be great for you know a property utility sort of vehicle as well. But I think it would be yeah awesome. And this kind of goes back with the electric bike concept. But to have a third class like we used to have, and whether that's a 125 two stroke class. The 690, 701, you know, class or like a big wheel tire class or something like that. Back when there was the 500s, it was just another element of of racing and another class and something else to watch. So maybe with this electric technology, we will have a third class again. And as that develops and grows and, you know, it might become the premier class. Like I said, I like riding lots of different stuff and and going to different places. And it's really about the writing for me and being involved with the film, the cinematic side. And speaking of, we'll be going to um, Israel later this month. And this will be my fourth trip over there. And I've been going over there over the years, you know, every other year or so and checking in with the motorcycle community. And there's some some pretty cool things happening over there. So that's going to be a, a fun trip. Just kind of going back in time to your pro career, I just wanted to ask you about uh, one thing I've always enjoyed about watching, obviously watching your race, but your podium interviews. You always had a big smile and you always were enthusiastic and got the crowd excited and happy. You don't see a lot of riders do that. There's a few, Adam Cianciarillo, Jeff Lawrence, and I think Aaron Plessinger all have that same same quality. But uh, what do racers have to do to change their approach? It just seems there's a lot of pro, pre-programmed uh, podium speeches, and yours was never like that. Yeah, there is a lot of pre-podium dialogue, and and it's sometimes it's hard when these guys get off the track. There's a lot of emotion and and anger or or frustration, so it can affect those podium speeches. And like you say, every now and then you have a guy that's kind of unencumbered by that, and they just kind of shoot from the hip or they wear their heart on their sleeve and it's it's nice because i mean it gives you a peek the audience a peek at that person you know who they are really and i think that they appreciate that too the honesty and owning up to a mistake if it was a mistake and getting beat if if you got beat and and if you were off that day travis preston was the guy you know kind of when when i was coming up as a youngster we go to the supercross races and he was one of those. And, you know, you can thank my, my folks for some of that. They, they wanted to make sure we knew how to speak and, you know, at least publicly at a young age and you get some good experience when you're in the amateur scenes. And, and so, but it takes a while to kind of get comfortable and come into your own, but it's definitely nice to see every now and then it just uh, breaks up the monotony of it. Kind of with that in mind, I mean, uh, you definitely had some highlights in your career and it was great to watch. I think I was rewatching your Houston Supercross win. Just the crowd was totally into it and uh, enjoying it as much as you were, I imagine. But uh, 
just thinking back, what was your favorite career moment in your in your pro career when you were still racing pro? Mm, that's a great question. Yeah, obviously the the wins and were always big, and those are going to stick out, you know, as as highlights. And then there was some fantastic rides too, also that didn't lead to wins. You know, when you're at Unadilla, I I was riding exceptionally well and got on the podium, and and there was you know my first uh, you know race in the pros at Millville and. And the wins go without saying, of course, but um, my favorite moment, you know, in the amateurs, it was winning the MGM Grand probably was super cool. Looking back on that, it's not an event they have anymore. And, and so I get to race that one two years. And the second year I won it, and I was with Suzuki. And of course, Loretta's always meant a lot. You know, it, Loretta's was on a, a huge, a huge accomplishment. And then I would say probably Bulgaria when I went to the amateur destinations in 2007 for factory KTM. A lot of a lot of things stick out there, and in the in days of the practice track too, you know, the, the, no one's going to know about, but there's a lot of good times there too with teammates or brothers. I couldn't say at this point, you know, you know it's, I don't know, I just go back and watch some of the different stuff, but it was it was a fun time, and it goes by quick, but there's there's more to come, and I'd love to stay involved with the sport in as many ways as I can, and hence the storytelling and the and the bike testing. You've definitely done some cool stuff in your career. One more thing I want to bring up before we start wrapping up this episode is something that maybe some of our listeners out there might not know about you is you're a very talented musician. You even have your your own official music video called Done, and great job on that. And so tell us a little bit more about how you got into music and, and how that kind of inspires you uh, with motorcycles. Well, I always enjoyed music and growing up in the sport, you kind of are introduced to a lot of different styles of music, mostly the early punk and the and the grunge era of music. And I grew up with some different stuff even beyond that. But I started doing music at eight, well, like 14, 15. I started playing music and then I started writing when I got a bit older. But uh, no, it's been it's been a blast. And it's not been the journey like, you know, with racing that we've had where you grew up doing it. And you have parents that are involved. It's just, it was always my passion and a hobby of mine. And something I still intend to use, um, we're going to go back in the studio later this month and we're going to record two more songs. And we just love going to the studio. It's, it is a fun time for me. You know, we get together and the band is there. And I want to do more with it, you know, and I really like to get it out there and, and to promote it and to do it. Yeah, I mean, well, maybe one day we'll play live, but, you know, it's a, that's, a, that's a tough road. That's a tough journey. The musician's journey is, is, can be kind of like the privateer in Supercross in a lot of ways but um regardless we're gonna keep doing it we enjoy it so i'm hoping you guys can hear some new stuff soon on some of these projects blake you're a man of many talents look forward to hearing your new music coming out appreciate you coming on this week and before we wrap up though if there's anybody you'd like to give a shout out to and or any of your you know personal websites or anything you want to call attention to now would be the time to do that yeah i'm here to talk you know let's make social media social again so i i do most of my stuff on there and i'm always posting something kind of funny or some historical interesting story and like i said we will be going to israel later this month for an olympic style event that this is the first time they've ever done motocross and enduro so pretty big as far as the middle east goes and keep an eye on what i'm doing and, and if you guys have any questions or you want to know more just reach out to me thanks a lot blake we really appreciate your time today thank you If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to follow Pit Pass Moto on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. If you have a moment, 
please rate and review our show. We'd really appreciate it. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit pitpassmoto.com, where you can check out our blog, listen to past episodes, and get your very own Pit Pass Moto swag. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to Tommy Boy Halverson, producer Leah Haslidge, and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. I'm Dave Sulecki. I'm Dale Spangler. See you next week on Pit Pass Moto. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato and this is Pit Pass F1, a brand new podcast that'll take you closer to the action of the world's most prestigious motorsport. From Monaco to Miami and Australia to Azerbaijan, Pit Pass F1 is on the ground and has you covered. Esteemed F1 journalists Julianne Serasoli and Chris Medland will take you inside the sport every round. They'll keep you up to date with the latest news breaking in Formula One and the most influential views shaping the world of Grand Prix racing. Every Friday, we'll be bringing you a track guide and race preview, and Chris and Drew will be in your feed every morning from Saturday through to Monday to keep you up to date on all the day's action on and off the track. So if you want to be in the know on the latest in Formula One, subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcasts and visit us at evergreenpodcasts.com. Pit Pass F1, a brand new show for Evergreen Podcasts.